and then I can't remember what's like, leave it to Jason Grilly to in five minutes come up with a better hashtag than the JPR <laughs> department could in, in the entire offseason. <laughs> Most people probably like home runs, and I don't think we've really gotten to the point where people are sick of them. The A's tweeted at them, cute winning streak at Indians, because the A's had that 20-gamer. <laughs> <laughs> and the Indians replied, yeah, Josh Johnson is playing really well these days. Welcome to episode number 63 of Artificial Turf Wars, the podcast that's only 3 million or so votes short of an all-star appearance. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? Not too bad. How about you? Uh, I'm always a little bit of a better mood after a Blue Jays victory, and we're recording a little <laughs> later than usual, and it was a Blue Jays victory. Woo! It was a nice one, too. Uh, after being embarrassingly almost shut out by the Orioles, one of their worst pitchers the previous night, um, the Blue Jays threw out Marcus Stroman, who is arguably the best pitcher on the staff at the moment, and shut the Orioles down. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was great. Seven two-thirds, eight strikeouts. Take that any day. No runs. That's the better part. Did he walk anybody? One walk. One walk. This is this is the new MLB. What are walks? Uh, <laughs> so that that capped off a three and four week. Uh, so the Jays really are, are not tearing it up here. <laughs> not going in the right direction with that. <laughs> I was a two or three podcast ago. I don't remember exactly. I talked about this stretch of games that the Jays had upcoming where they really had a chance to make up some ground. Yeah, they've got 9 and 11 during that stretch. <laughs> I believe you were saying something about each starter had had a shot at getting us to 500. And we did we actually speculate that Stroman was going to be the guy to do it? Yeah, then he got bombed out on his chance, too. <laughs> by, by the way, so I, I mentioned the stat about the ERA during the 500 games. I actually accidentally flipped the numerator, numerator and the denominator. The ERA is over 11 for starters when they're trying to get to 500 oh what what does it mean like does it it's nothing i don't nothing, think but, but it's just it's really horrible. bad just horrible so yeah that the is it sisyphus in greek legend who has all of the trials pushing the rock it's almost pushing the, the rock up the stuff yeah, yeah and it always it comes back down yeah <laughs> yeah uh, I don't think we put the Sisyphus Blue Jays on a t-shirt and have anybody understand the reference, but <laughs> uh, this three and four week, of course, included probably the worst meltdown of the season. That was, there have been some games that the Jays have lost during this season, which have been tough. That one was brutal. We're, of course, <laughs> referring to the first game against the Kansas City Royals when the Jays somehow lost a game when they took a rather commanding five to no sorry it would have been four, four to, one. to one lead into the ninth it was four one say all the Leafs fans who also listen to this podcast yeah <laughs> the number of times I've seen that tweet on my timeline dude I can't stay away from it <laughs> I don't watch I don't thankfully I don't follow those people but um, yeah four, four to one entering the ninth and Tapera, and they all scored with two outs, which was the worst part. There was two outs, nobody on, correct? <clears throat> yeah. Yep, two outs, nobody on. So get one out, and um, you go home victorious. Before, of course, three run score. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, it started out with Tapera, who, you know, he was doing fine I mean, he, but he'd thrown in the inning before as well mm-hmm. and, and then it's just snowball and actually we're wrong there, there was a it was two outs and runner on Salvador Perez doubled with one out yeah, and then Brandon Ross worked like a 400 pitch walk and then Alcides Escobar had, Alcides Escobar had a bloop fly ball single which he did the entire series <laughs> that was so annoying you know he's yeah. a bad hitter and then he's on base all the time and like, no that's not how it's supposed to work yeah. 
Well, and then so then Gimme goes to get Aaron Loop to pitch to Alex Gordon. Aaron Loop can't get lefties out this year. It's really bizarre. They're hitting over 320 against them. He stopped hitting them, I guess. So now they're yeah. So they're hitting the bees, hitting their bats instead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he naturally gave up a hit to Gordon, and then they turned to Jason Grilly. So in that in this game, we're going to talk about the two things we learned in this inning that will probably affect the Blue Jays in the long run. The first one was actually that your Roberto Osuna was not called into that game. And we'll talk later about why he was unavailable to pitch, which was a big shocker. But even when I saw people online going, well, why isn't Roberto Osuna in this game? It's an obvious spot for Roberto Osuna. I was thinking, and I, I even, I put it on Twitter. I'm like, if he's not in the game by the point when there's two runners on with two outs, he's not available. It's not like John Gibbons is just looking randomly through the bullpen. He knows that Roberto Osuna is the guy he needs here. He doesn't well, have he's to. in a tracksuit in the dugout. He was definitely not coming into that game. Yeah. It's like, okay, he's not available. Let's move on from that. Um, weird stuff where people are like, why isn't he? Why isn't Gibbons gone to him? Well, because he can't. Um, and then the second thing we learned is that Jason Grilly, bless his heart, is not a major league pitcher anymore. And like clockwork. <laughs> Well, he, he threw he threw five pitches in that at bat, and he he missed his spot by probably an average of three feet. On <laughs> he was nowhere close to the target on any pitch he threw. The one strike, Martin was calling. I think it was Martin catching that game, calling for a fastball low and away, and it was up and in, and the guy swung at it. Merrifield. Uh, to wit, <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> they lost. On a double, I guess it was technically counted as, was it not? Yeah, it was over Dwight Smith's head. Uh, That is a sad way to be shown the door, but I think that was pretty much the only way Jason Gurley was going to get the door this year was after another outing like that, because although he did have outings miraculously where he did not give up runs, the, the vast majority of them seemed to be where he could not get an out to save him his soul. Yep. No, it was it, it was just it just felt like as soon as he was walking through that bullpen door that the game was gonna end, but not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were not very many fist pumps. So I uh, actually turned the TV off as soon as the ball <laughs> cleared Smith's head. I never actually saw the winning run score. I just knew that it was over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh there would be no point to that. So yeah, he said some rather uh unappealing records, I think, as a blue <laughs> As a Blue Jay this year, four, four mm-hmm. home runs in an inning. You know, um, he was a lot of fun in 2016. So I, I don't want to make it sound like he shouldn't have made this team. It seemed like a no-brainer. He, but it he, was. He just didn't have anything left in the tank. Neither with location nor with action, like movement on his pitches, and he had a little bit less velocity to combine with all of it. So. Farewell, Jason. Uh, It's awesome that you got to play for the team that you really, really wanted to play for ever since you were a kid. I think that's pretty cool in and of itself. And then he went out with such class, too. So the reporters couldn't get to talk to him because he cleared up before they were allowed in the clubhouse. When they got to his locker, it just said on top of it, stay in the fight. Pretty funky. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I saw a thing. I think it was the road guy. It was like... Well, he was he he put out a tweet like this should be the new hashtag, and then I can't remember who was like leave it to Jason Grilly to in five minutes come up with a better hashtag than the JPR <laughs> department could in, in the entire off season. It's true. It's it's a hundred percent true. Um, <laughs> uh, so of course, with Jason Grilly leaving, that led to a little bit of roster uh, uh, musical chairs. Um, Dwight Smith back to AAA because he had options. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Smith called up. Because you can only have two. <laughs> Is this strict Smith limit? <laughs> or uh, one? one. <laughs> well, you can have... No, Dwight and Joe were on the team at the same time at one point, so... <laughs> you can... I don't know. I'm just... There's just yeah. too many Smiths. <laughs> Smith math. Um... <laughs> Uh, because he's the third one, by the way, and he has the C in front of his 
uh, name on the jersey. Smith has Smith Jr. Dwight does. So just to, you know, so it's clear when you're out on the field. Um, you don't yeah. need a scorecard to tell who's scoring in this case. Um, and then uh, Ezekiel Carrera uh, returns. With some I, Wolverine in him? He, he killed him a broken foot in like a week and a half. I don't know how these things work. After <laughs> see, I, after the injury to Tulo, we, we, Pilar ran into him and it was apparently the equivalent of getting hit by a truck. And then he was back in whatever, thir- 16 days or whatever. I, I don't understand how the whole thing works. So good for you, Zeke. Um I am sort of sad to see Dwight Smith off the team, though, and that, uh, who's the other guy? <laughs> We're at the who's the <laughs> other guy point of the season already. Well, we've been at the who's the other guy point of the season for a while, <laughs> I think. <laughs> they, they called up an outfielder, though. I'd never heard of him before, I'll be honest. Yes, they did. They, 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 you're talking about Ian Parmley, yes. Parmley, but not Parmalee, because that guy is a, Chris Parmalee for a different team. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ian Parmley. I had never heard of him either. <laughs> There's not a lot of guys I can say that about. <laughs> I had no idea who he was when he was called up. But he's he's uh, collecting the the big MLB minimum money now, which uh, I no, would he's not... back in the minors, so he's not getting it. Oh, he's oh no, sorry, no, he's no, not. He's the guy who's still here, so never mind. Yeah, Smith went back to the minors. That's what I'm saying. They yeah. they kept the guy I'd never heard of, and they <laughs> they bounced Smith. Though Smith, which did makes not... sense though. Well, defensively, Smith did not look good. No, and also Parmley's faster than Smith for pinch running, and they want Smith to play every day. And with Zeke back and Steve Pierce back, there's not a lot of room for a fifth outfielder. Oh yeah, Steve Pierce, uh, who's looking much more like the guy that they paid for. Yes, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. In the nine games since coming back from the DL, he's hitting 500 with a 552 on base and a 731 slugging. <laughs> Uh, but he nearly injured himself again in Kansas City. By, by, he did injure himself, but by, he just kept playing. <laughs> by fielding a baseball, by attempting to remove the wall with his knee as he failed to catch the ball. Yeah, well, that turned, turned into inside the park home run. Uh, fun stat cast. That was uh, an inside the park home run to the third baseman. Who ran, yeah, right. <laughs> who ran 182 feet to pick up that ball. <laughs> uh, but Steve what? Pierce's line on the season now is 275 batting average with a 328 slugging and a 415, or sorry, 328 on base and a 459 <laughs> slugging. That's pretty good. Yeah, and it looks perfectly normal if you don't break it down into the nine games that he's come back <laughs> and the however <laughs> many games it was garbage beforehand. Um... <laughs> It's been a weird season, Josh. It's not getting any more normal. No, it's not. Uh, so, is the... Although, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Jose Bautista, I don't know what his normal is, but maybe right now is more what we're used to. Except for the fact that the home run he hit tonight was an opposite field home run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not right. <laughs> Yeah, he's got two homers in the last week. You wrote a great piece. Look at that. I'm talking about something you wrote. Uh, Are you allowed to do <laughs> talking that? Talking about but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I must be sick or something. But okay. uh, <laughs> talking about Batista's march towards the end or you know, a look back at sort of how he got here and how we've been seeing him through and how this might be the end of things. It's actually really good, so everybody should go read that. But he's been hitting better this week. I, I'd like to think that that leadoff home run was because someone told him that someone wrote about <laughs> about him coming to the end and he got mad. Yeah, good work, Greg. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, we have talked about your wizard powers before. Yeah, I forget what, what the issue was at the time. <laughs> he, it was uh, Dexter Fowler. Like, oh, he's going to sign with the, the Jays any minute now, and he signed with the Cardinals within five minutes of you saying that. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's, the future is cloudy sometimes in the crystal ball. Uh, so uh, we did want to touch about the minor league signing of Michael Saunders. You remember him? Kind of. There were a lot of very cruel things said about Michael Saunders returning on a minor league contract on the Internet. Oh, really? I didn't see any of that. Uh, well, you, you saw the cruelest one that the, the user has a blocked account. <laughs> 
but he, <laughs> he he said he's coming back for Canada dot one fifty, as in, of course, the batting average. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there was there was the old let's get Michael Saunders to the All Star game. Let's get Michael Saunders to Buffalo. There was in twenty sixteen. Um, yeah, it's uh, that was from I think Blue Jays Nation. Um, yeah, it it is humbling to be Michael Saunders at this point, but. Maybe he does have a little something that he can sort out in AAA. I'm, I'm glad we didn't get into the whole, well, he needs to platoon with Zeke discussion or whatever. That would be silly at this point, I think. Oh, yeah. No, there's no argument to be made that he should be on a big league roster right now. He's been pretty much useless since the second half of last season. Which doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. No, it doesn't. Because he's he, he was never as good as he was in the first half in, ever in his career, but he was always a useful player. Yeah, so, and there's been no re-injury or no talk about a chronic problem of, you know, his bat speed or anything. Like, it just he's just not good anymore, and it's like, okay. You, you look at Grilly, right? And you can see all the things that are wrong with Grilly that make him not good. I, I haven't heard anyone explain why Saunders is suddenly not good. Yeah, it's, it's really baffling. He's striking out far more often than he used to, but everybody in baseball is striking out far more often than they used to, so... I don't really know. I mean, he's, yeah, his line with Philly was 205, 257, 360. I mean, that's terrible. That's worse than the Jays left fielders. <laughs> that's not very nice, Josh. <laughs> so, I don't know, but as we said, like, there is talent there, and there has been talent there very, very recently. So, maybe something being away from the pressures of the big leagues will help him actually figure out what the heck is going wrong? We shall see. Um, the other guy who is in AAA that I saw a note about tonight is Glenn Sparkman, the Rule 5 pick, who is on rehab, who needs to come off of rehab in a certain number of days, or uh, Blue Jays have to give him back to San Francisco. Um, they've used him three times in the last six days for Buffalo. He's going to be back soon. It's Kansas City, by the way. That's San Francisco is a genie, but... My bad. Uh, yeah, so the, the, obviously one of those arms in the bullpen is, is uh, going to have to move in order to get Mr. Sparkman on the roster. So that'll be interesting to watch for probably this next week, I would think, if they're using him that much. Yeah, I could see Chris Smith going back down. Mm-hmm. You know, he came up, did well in his big league debut, but he has options, and the other guys don't. Well, they don't want to send Leone down because he's pitching pretty well, but I think that's probably going to be the play. But I'm very curious to see what they actually have in him. His minor league numbers on the rehab are okay, but they're also rehab numbers, so they don't mean a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, he's obviously trying to get back up to speed, and and in that context, uh, in the context of a Buffalo team that is not doing well at all, <laughs> um, maybe he's not being used in the kinds of situations that that he's used to either. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, he was an intriguing guy. He throws hard, gets ground balls, got a decent curveball, so that does sound like a pretty viable major league reliever. He was a starter all through the minors before coming to the Jays. So who knows? Maybe there's something there, just like there was with Biagini. Indeed. Um, sorry, I missed the very latest on Aaron Sanchez. Is he still on track or did something happen today? No, he is. He's okay. actually, he, he threw a bunch of curveballs in his last rehab outing. Didn't have any problems with the nail or with blisters yet. I mean, they might not form right away. So. It's good news. He threw about 63 pitches, I think it was, about. It was 63 pitches. <laughs> More. About 63. <laughs> oh, all right. And the last point, I think, that we're going to hit here is uh, the, the possibly good news about Justin Smoke getting some recognition on the All-Star ballot. We are yeah, smoking the vote. Uh, <laughs> good one. Are you following through with the Blue Jays hashtag like that? Well done. Isn't it the law? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently you just told me this before, and he's about 70,000 votes shy on the last day of voting. Yep. And he's up against Hosmer, which, I mean, Kansas City has a, a good uh, reputation for, for, for getting votes in there, but he's Hosmer's really there on reputation this year. He's not ha having a fantastic season by any stretch. Well, he's having a better season than he did last year, but he's definitely not deserving of an all-star spot. No. Um, It'll so. be interesting. I mean... Before when we first talked about this, I, I I made a case that you could say that Yonder Alonso deserved to go over Smoke. Mm -hmm. That's not the case anymore. Justin Smoke <laughs> has been the best first baseman in the American League. Catches up with you and, sometimes, doesn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> He's hitting 301 with a career high 21 homers. Went deep to dead center tonight. Um Adam Jones batting right-handed. Adam Jones gave the <laughs> the courtesy jog and then realized well, it's just going to look stupid if I go any farther as the ball <laughs> landed about three rows back in dead center field. Oh, yeah, it was a shot. Yeah, impressive. Very impressive. So, and uh, yeah, he hasn't hit very many from that side. Was it, would you say his fifth from against the lefty? Oh, I actually didn't check that. I don't know. But he doesn't get as many, obviously, at bats Chances, batting right yeah. hands because it was his, yes, fifth. I remembered a fact, possibly from the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's kind of crazy. He's got a career high in home runs, and it's not even the all-star break yet. Yeah, and, and again, it, this is what happened to Michael Saunders last year. But, like I said on last podcast, the one thing Smoke's done is obviously cut down on his strikeouts a lot in an environment where that might be the toughest thing for a hitter to do. So, we even if he falls off in the second half, we may have something here with, with that plate discipline. I, mean, I think it's the biggest thing too with Saunders. It was hard to see why he was so much better. Yep. I mean, he was all maybe not chasing quite as much, you know, but his overall stats didn't change that much. Like his, his advanced metrics, so there always seemed like there was a likely fallback. Whereas with Smoke, it's hard to see it because of the approach change you've talked about, which is super cool. So we have been talking about strikeouts and dingers, <laughs> which uh, is the perfect lead-in to our interview that uh, is coming up with Ben Lindbergh because the question is, are some of those dingers not from the player's side, but from the baseball side? And Ben had an article in The Ringer that went into that in depth, and uh, Josh got a, a chance to talk to him about that. Well, we have that right after this. And I'm pleased to be joined by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer and one of the hosts of the Effectively Wild podcast. Thanks for coming back on the show, Ben. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. So last time we had you on here, we were talking about Hall of Fame stuff, but this time it's we're talking about stuff that can lead to Hall of Famers, the home runs <laughs> and balls flying out of the park. You recently posted a piece on The Ringer about, you know, everyone's trying to look into this surge in home runs and the mm-hmm. way the balls are flying. And yours was a new study on whether the ball itself has been the difference obviously there's been speculation about that in the past Mm -hmm. but you wrote about this in depth now before we get deep into the piece you you previously alluded to something alan nathan had done which found that there was not much of a a difference and then so what caused you to go back in and look at it well mitchell lichman the prominent sabermetrician former consultant to teams co-author of the book undertook his own testing before I had written my most recent piece about the home run rate, and he got in touch with me because his results seemed to support the idea that the ball was different in some way. So he just bought a bunch of game-used balls, not home run balls, but foul balls, game balls, pitched balls, and he sent them to the sports science lab at Washington State University to have them tested by being fired into a cylindrical surface at 120 miles per hour and then various characteristics of the balls were recorded which is the sort of sensitive setup that you need to detect these minute differences that can add up to significant differences on the field so he got in touch and he sent me the results that he had and they seemed suggestive there's lots of circumstantial statistical evidence to support the idea that the ball has at least had something to do with this record home run surge, but Mitchell's results seem to be direct evidence of a change, at least in the balls that he tested from before and after the rapid rise in the home run rate. So that seemed worth publishing as a counterpoint to MLB's party line, which is that they have done their own testing and haven't either haven't detected differences or haven't detected differences outside of the regulation range. And it as we detail in the piece, can be true that these balls are not outside of the legal limits, but are still, quote-unquote, juiced relative to previous balls. Yes, and specifically, there were two things that you found that seemed to have a strong, or at least a noticeable correlation with increased distance. The coefficient of restitution, or the bounciness of the ball, and the seam height. 
Mm-hmm. Now, when we, we've spoken now, Nathan, about this before, specifically with the COR, but the same one was one that I don't think I've heard anyone discuss previously. Now, the idea, I guess, is something that the smaller the seams, the, ball, the farther the ball will fly. Yep, the less air resistance or drag there is, and that can also be the case with the circumference of the ball, which also, according to those test results, it seems to be a little bit smaller. So when you combine the smaller size and the lower seams, that just means less drag, less air resistance. In theory, the ball should carry farther. And there has been some corroborating evidence from Rob Arthur of 538, who found statistical evidence that points to lower seams, which is that if you take balls with the same sort of characteristics as far as the batted balls, launch angle and exit velocity pre-home run surge, and then you look at balls after the home run surge with the same characteristics, same launch angle, same exit velocity, after the surge, more of those balls leave the ballpark, which suggests, well, those aren't balls that are being hit harder or at a higher angle or anything. They're being hit the same way, but they're going out more often, which tends to support the idea that maybe there's less air resistance. Maybe the balls are just carrying farther. And Rob also has done some follow-up research in a, a separate article that's about to be published as we speak at 538, where he looked at the difference between the starting and ending speed of pitches. So if you have lower air resistance on your baseball, then a pitch will lose less speed on its way to the plate. So by looking at the difference between start and end speed month by month, he's been able to show that there is a difference there, too, over the last few years that support the idea that there's less air resistance on on the ball and that that historically has been correlated with a higher home run rate which is again what you would expect to see and we've also been hearing this a lot from pitchers and players in the game so Justin Verlander came out and said that he thinks the seams are a lot lower Mets manager Terry Collins said the same thing and it's hard to know how much stock to put into that on the one hand you'd think that a pitcher would be the authority on whether there's something different with the ball they're the ones who are holding them and throwing them all the time <laughs> on the other hand they're also maybe the most likely to be biased or to like the explanation that the ball is different in some way because if you're suddenly giving up lots of home runs it would be comforting to think that it's not you it's the ball so it's hard to say exactly how much stock to put into that but i did hear feedback on my first article people saying well if this were true wouldn't you be hearing from pitchers and players that the ball felt different and the differences are so small that you really might not but the aerodynamics might be different enough that they would fly farther but for whatever reason we are starting to hear that more often from people in the game it's always the ball's fault Ben. always <laughs> yes it's, <laughs> it's very tempting to think that whether you're a player or a fan of course it's very tempting to think that there is some kind of conspiracy that it's the ball and even if it is the ball i don't think there needs to be a conspiracy i think that the changes that were detected by these tests are small enough that they could have happened by chance or with some unintentional inadvertent change in the manufacturing process that went undetected because if you look at just the coefficient of restitution it's not that different if you look at just the seam height it's not that different if you look at just the circumference it's not that different but you start adding up these differences then suddenly the results that you would expect are pretty different now it's interesting i was actually going to go into this you you mentioned the testing and the the balls the creation of them themselves and these minute differences that were taken together but with baseball what they're what they allow this is from your article again a huge range in some of these right these outcomes okay so that the idea that they're juicing the ball might not be the case. It might just be manufacturing differences. Mm-hmm. Why would you think they would allow such a range? Yeah, it's a good question. The range is particularly wide for the coefficient of restitution, which is maybe the thing that produces the most dramatic difference when you change it. And by the admission of baseball's testing facility, the Baseball Research Center, they put out a report in 2000 when there was a lot of speculation about the ball saying that two balls that both fell within the legal limits established by Major League Baseball, one could travel 49 feet farther than the other one just because it was at the upper end of those limits and the other was at the lower end of those limits. So it really is a dramatic difference. And I don't know exactly how they came up with with that range. I don't know whether they just at the time didn't perfectly understand how 
big a difference, a small measured difference could produce in terms of on-field results, or whether they wanted to allow themselves some room for manufacturing variation, or whether they wanted to allow themselves some room to adjust the ball from time to time if they wanted to without having to change the specifications of the ball. So any of those could be the reason, but you're right, because of those wide ranges, we can say that the ball could have changed significantly enough to produce a, a big difference on the field, but not to exceed any of MLB's allowable limits. Is that leading to some sort of speculation that maybe this was done intentionally, or is that just sort of baseless conspiracy mongering? Well, there's certainly speculation about it just because <laughs> of the, the timing. It seems somewhat convenient that home runs and runs came back into the game just as everyone was fretting about how few home mm-hmm. runs and runs there were. 2014 was like the year of the pitcher. It was you know the latest in a sequence of years of the pitcher. The, the strike zone had been expanding. Runs were down. Strikeouts were up. Home runs were down. It was the lowest level of scoring we'd seen in baseball since the mid-70s, and so everyone was saying, well, is MLB going to do something? Are they going to change some rules to bring scoring back into the game? Ken Rosenthal reported that there was a proposal by MLB. They sent a list of of items that could be done, things that could be done to to improve scoring. And one of those things was wrapping the ball a bit tighter. This was not formally proposed or anything, but it was just sort of floated. And so, yeah, it's somewhat suspicious, I suppose, that home runs then spiked immediately when MLB wanted them to. But maybe that is just some kind of regression when there's an extreme one way or another. Maybe we're more likely to see things bounce back the other way. Perhaps now when we are looking at a record home run rate, maybe fast forward a few years and the home run rate will have fallen again for whatever reason. (laughs) So I don't think it needs to be a conspiracy, I think. MLB has, you know, sent me its reports. They've said many, many times in the media that they have not changed anything, that they don't think there's a change. Rob Manfred has even acknowledged the scandal that happened in NPB, the Japanese league, a few years ago where the commissioner resigned over a change in the ball that he either was not aware of or or didn't publicize. So I don't think that that's the case. You know, we might never know exactly what happened here and As I take great pains to point out in the article, I think there are probably a number of things that are contributing to this just because what we're seeing is so extreme that I have a hard time believing that it is any one single thing. But my inclination is that even if there has been a measurable change in the ball, that it's not something that comes from the highest levels of Major League Baseball. Yeah, that seems like the most likely way to to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually, I was going to ask you that you were talking about this earlier with Rob Arthur's Arthur's research, (laughs) which is coming out, you said, today or soon. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this effect with the pitcher. Not only would the ball be flying faster, that would affect the rate at which it falls, would it not? Uh, You mean like the break on the way to the plate, that kind of thing? Yeah, like from a four-seam fastball. Yeah, in theory, it should. And I think Rob has either looked into that or thought about how he would look into that. I think it's harder to see just because the differences are much smaller, like, uh, you know, over the 400 foot flight of a fly ball or something, you could see bigger differences than you would over 60 feet and six inches and how quickly that time to the plate is. And I think the, the differences would be much smaller in magnitude, at least. And I think because we've seen this change from the pitch FX system to the StatCast system. It's also a little harder. There are some data inconsistencies there and things being recorded a little differently. So I think Rob either has looked into that out a little or has planned to look into it a little more. But yes, in theory, there should be some difference there. And so Maybe if you have less air resistance on the ball, well, the ball is going faster by a a tiny amount, so maybe that helps the pitcher a little bit, but perhaps there's different break, perhaps there's less break, and so, you know, I've seen speculation that maybe we're seeing more blisters this year because the seams are lower and pitchers are having a hard time getting a grip on the ball. I don't know whether that's true. I don't know whether there even have been more blisters this year, (laughs) but... 
I think it's reasonable to to speculate about additional changes there, and maybe if there were less break because of the ball, that could also contribute to the home rates, home run rate, sort of indirectly because pitchers are not getting the same break as they were before. But that's a little harder analysis to do, I think, to to try to isolate that difference. So maybe there will be a, another follow up on this. There's been no shortage of follow ups <laughs> on home run rate research over the last couple of years. Well, it's certainly an interesting topic, especially when, as you referenced in your at the top of your piece, Scooter Jeanette is hitting four home runs in a game. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, also pointed out in the piece that I don't think this is a bad thing. If it if it is happening, I don't think that we're necessarily worse off with a different ball or a higher home run rate than we were. I think there are a lot of advantages to it. I think most people probably like home runs, and I don't think we've really gotten to the point where people are sick of them, or at least not you know kind of the the typical fan who's just watching one team on a, a daily basis and might not even be aware of the league-wide trend or or care about it if they are aware of it so i think that people like us you know this is kind of our job to obsess over these things and notice over these things but in the grand scheme of the sport i'm not sure it will actually derail or threaten major league baseball any more than any of the many, many other changes in offensive environment that we've seen since the beginning of baseball. <laughs> yes, and it, some of which you also allude to in that piece. But one of the interesting things I think that supports what you just said is despite these increased ball, the way the ball's flying and the home run rate, it's not guys hitting 60, 70, 80 home runs a year. It's right. more the middle that's tightening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that supports the idea that it could be the ball because there is sort of a, a home run sweet spot at a certain fly ball distance. So if you can consistently reach that distance, your fly balls are going to turn into home runs much more often. And if you're Aaron Judge or some elite power slugger who hits the ball now you know 495 feet or whatever judge's longest home run is well maybe he would have hit it 470 or <laughs> something with a, a different ball but that's a home run in any ballpark anyway so it seems like if you were going to change the ball it would benefit kind of the lower class of home run hitter or the middle class of home run hitter more than the truly elite slugger who often clears the fence by a lot and that is what we have seen it's sort of this democracy of home runs or there's a more egalitarian distribution of home runs where you know no one is really challenging the all-time single season records but seemingly everyone is hitting 20 home runs these days so yeah i mean that's something you kind of have to take into account as you reframe your expectations either from a fantasy perspective or if you're just looking at a player's stats and saying wow so and so has 20 homers that's you know it doesn't mean the same thing that it would have meant say even three years ago yeah which i mean we're definitely seeing a lot of those yes those. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so the last one before i before i let you go uh, you mentioned under the towards the top of the piece, but that the idea of a smoking gun that addresses all of the home run issues is probably a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. But if you were to have that pipe dream, what what would you have to see in order to say this is the reason? Well, I I guess sort of the same thing that we did see, but just repeated, right? Just bigger samples of baseballs over a, a longer period of time. I mean, I don't know that you can get any closer than that. If you could get one degree farther and find out why these changes were happening. So I don't know what you'd have to do. You'd go undercover at the, the Costa Rican factory where <laughs> Rawlings manufactures these baseballs. I don't I don't know, you know, examine the manufacturing process, see if there was some personnel turnover or a new machine or, you know, these balls are hand stitched. Maybe something about the the process changed. So something like that I guess would be the the most incontrovertible evidence, but I think testing the baseballs and the characteristics of the baseballs is probably the best we can hope to do. But, but yeah, I think that, you know, even if there was a change in the ball, I think players have adjusted to that change and they've seen that home run rates are up. And if you get balls in the air, you're more likely to have a good outcome. And so we've seen this whole swing change movement and the air ball revolution and guys trying to hit with more in an uppercut swing, which is not really a totally new idea, but seems to have caught on in a way that it didn't in the past. And people kind of quibble about whether that is a cause of this home run surge or a symptom of the home run surge. And I think it can be both. It can be driving it, but also a response to it to a, a certain extent. 
All right. Well, that sounds good. And while we research that, we'll send our agents down to Costa Rica just to cover all our <laughs> yes. bases. Please do. Let me know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show again. This is a lot of fun and definitely very educational. And we'll uh, enjoy these big home runs as they keep coming because dingers yeah. are great. I think so, too. Yeah. Good talking to you. <laughs> Thanks. You, too. <laughs> And there you have it. Baseballs are now made of rubber. <laughs> I may have misinterpreted some of the data. <laughs> nope, that was it. Okay. Our agents in Costa Rica have confirmed it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, dingers are fun, like you said at the end there. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with dingers. Um, no. And by the way, I, I forgot to put out Ben's Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Ben. <laughs> That's because I left you alone to interview him, isn't it? <laughs> oh, seriously, man. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it is very difficult. It sounds, once you got it done it a few times, it sounds like it's all going smoothly. It's never going smoothly, folks. There's there's lots going wrong all the time. Um, yeah, anyway, he's at Ben Lindbergh. At Ben Lindbergh. No special character. L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G-H, if I'm not mistaken. That's it. Okay, uh, and that opens up the possibility of us taking questions from our audience. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I think that's all the... Pr- bit of a light oh, week. Oh, you almost nailed it. <laughs> I, I, I can only hit pause so fast. A uh, bit of a light week, but um, we still have the faithful. To whom we give answers. So our first question is from Brian. (laughs) Big B. SR. Michael Saunders, WTF. Would you believe this is not the only question we have with WTF in it this week? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, we talked about this in the the part earlier about, I guess this is one of those responses you were talking about that I hadn't seen. It's a minor league deal. There's literally no risk. (laughs) Yeah. And if he, if he somehow finds what he did, what he had, even before coming to Toronto, just for Seattle again, that's pretty useful considering the outfield situation for the Blue Jays. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Michael Saunders is a no-risk acquisition. Um, all right. Next. All right. So this one comes in from Ben Tusim at B Tusim. You think D Gordon would be a good fit? left-handed second baseman that can lead off it would allow you to put travis in the outfield if better for his knees and uh therein lies the the problem i i don't know if any any spot in the outfield is actually going to be better for travis's knees uh if this is an ongoing problem i i think maybe being on the infield dirt is better for him yeah i guess the idea is less pure lateral movement but I don't I haven't really seen any evidence that it's really a big help and and D Gordon I mean he's under he's signed through 2021 he's very fast he hits for high average and that's about it I don't know that the Marlins are going to be motivated to trade him yeah yeah it's the need to give up a piece to get a piece like that and I don't know what you give up yeah, I just don't see the G- the Jays being willing to make a move for a guy that's going to likely cost as much as D. Gordon will. But he is on the Marlins, as you pointed out when we started discussing this before we took the question. So he could be traded because that's how Jeffrey Loria does everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly back to Brian again. How excited are you that Zeke is coming back? Yay or ugh? Well, I mean, Dwight Smith is pretty good. And he was no worse than Zeke in the outfield because they're all terrible defensively. I actually saw jokes about the length of Dwight Smith's arms. <laughs> Look where we started. I didn't intend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the law of unintended consequences come to bite me. Um, the worst part is about five years when people reminisce about that thing about they, they won't understand that when I tell them I started that, they'll be like, no, you didn't. 
Like, no, I did. I didn't mean to. I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not overly happy that he's back myself. Because, yeah, I kind of like Dwight Smith better. I, I think Dwight Smith is a better base runner from what I saw than Zeke. It's a low bar to clear. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, he did have his adventures in the outfield. Um, mind you, so did Kevin Pillar. Like, there's know. no good outfielders in the Blue Jays right now. If only Dalton Pompey could not be perma-injured. <laughs> he's, he's a broken, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's in the shop. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, excited, no. It's just, there he is. He's he's Zeke. He's, he's probably going to have a couple of hot weeks here and there. With Those are fun. When he seems to actually be able to put the ball on everything, uh, bat on everything, and and get good results, and then he's going to have a couple ice cold weeks where you wonder why he's on the team. Yeah. Next, Willie Mays Hayes uh, provides us with our at Lou Brown thirty four requisite major league reference. <laughs> um, Keep asking questions, Willie. <laughs> I feel like when they cut to the grounds crew and they say that they're still not very good, <laughs> they say it a little differently. I yeah. think they say they're still. Sh- <laughs> oh. <laughs> family show and he's gone again um yeah uh i i think uh i think we're still at that stage of the season yeah uh, but what we really want to know here you didn't it, actually read his comments yeah he doesn't even have a question he's, he's I, i'm re-watching game of thrones because the jays somehow lead to more despair than the first few seasons of the show just letting you know so yeah i guess he agrees I- with my sentiment yeah, because that's saying a lot. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of death in that first few seasons, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, Tammy, Spoilers? <laughs> Tammy Rainey. I've never watched an episode of the show, and somehow I know that. Let's think. Um, at Tammy underscore Beth, who is one of our uh, workers, writers, people at BP Toronto, asks Kevin Gaussman... Uh, many, many explanation and and question marks. Um, WTF? Yeah, why why didn't they hit Kevin Gaussman, Josh? Because the Blue Jays are here to help. <laughs> <laughs> he owns the Blue Jays. Took me back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin Gaussman has 17 starts this year. In 11 of them, he has given up three or more runs. Of the six where he has given up two or fewer, four of them are against the Blue Jays. Another way to translate that, I believe someone said his ERA against the Blue Jays is like 2.56 or something. His ERA against the rest of the league is 7.96. Yeah. The Jays have a habit of making guys who suck look really, really good. Yeah, and and before this whole they go to the playoffs thing started back in 2015, that was like a trademark. That was like you could they'd make anybody look like Cy Young for one evening only, um, and then it it kind of went away. And I like that, and it seems to be coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I said something about the Jays doing this for three months, and you referred to them doing for fifteen. <laughs> Yes, it's been a while since the Jays were actually a good team. Since the end of the 2015 season, basically. Yeah, they hit with runners in scoring position last year, which really polished over the fact that they didn't actually do anything else particularly well. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, Colleen Evans asks us... Uh, I'll read it. Okay. Because you can answer it first. <laughs> what is your favorite Twitter slash online battle that you have witnessed concerning the latest media scrum today? This was about... Uh, Steve Buffery going after Arden Swelling because Swelling said that he misquoted a player on the radio. Something like that. Wow. Because the media guys are the most important guys out there. It's not the players. Remember that. Um, my favorite is the classic uh, Steve Simmons was complaining that Jose Bautista used some sort of social media person for his Twitter account to which Jose logged on himself and asked who are you and why are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the greatest. It can't be topped. It was actually first he was making some comment about the Royals doing well without a trade edition. And then he responded to that. And then Simmons is like, it's actually not him. It's some intern. He's like, no, it's me. And posted a picture of him with the phone. 
uh, you know, I mean, that's the greatest. It can't be topped. But if we're going to go away from that, my favorite one was this was last year. As you may remember, the Jays played the Indians over the Canada weekend. Yes. Since that's coming up, it seems like a good one. And the Jays beat them to end the Indians. I think it was a 17 game winning streak or something like that. 14. And the A's. Tw- Sorry. I'm pretty sure it was 14. 14. Okay. The A's tweeted at them, cute winning streak at Indians, because the A's had that 20-gamer. <laughs> <laughs> and the Indians replied, yeah, Josh Johnson is playing really well these days because he did the game winning homer. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, they found the soft underbelly of the Oakland Athletics and they stabbed it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, those are our favorites. If you have favorites, uh, you can respond to Colleen's tweet. It's right there in our uh, Turf Pod favorites list, so you can poke your head in there. At Turf Pod, right? Mm-hmm. Last question of the night. At the Seahound, Connor Moore. Is this all happening because Stroh and Sanchez aren't friends anymore? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we're not, we're not indulging that theory, are we? Sads. Well, Sanchez is even around, so it can't be that. Yeah, this is all happening because this team is not getting any younger or any faster. Uh, we didn't. We meant to touch on it, and I think I took it off the list because we were we had so much to touch on. But there's a new speed metric. You stole my final thought. Oh, that's why we didn't touch on it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I guess do it now. My early thought. <laughs> 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 Statcast put out the new speed metrics. The Jays, as we thought, are very slow. <laughs> uh, some names like Smoke and uh, Morales and yeah. Bautista. Show oh, up. They only have three players who are above the league average. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you can check that out at Baseball Savant uh, Sprint Speed is what you're looking for. And uh, they'll show you in many visual formats just how slow the Blue Jays really are. Well, and it really sucks, too, because of the three players who are above league average, one of them is Devin Travis, who's injured. <laughs> and one of them is Ezekiel Carrera, who is a backup who can't run the bases. Um, wow. I think we should leave your final thought now that isn't your final thought. Okay. And we are going to hand out something we don't hand out nearly as often as a do-over. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Indeed. And who earns it this week, Josh? John Gibbons. Indeed. And I'm pretty sure everybody knows why, but we'll say it anyway. It's entirely for the way he handled the issues with Roberto Osuna in what you were talking about earlier with the Kansas City series. Mm-hmm. So Osuna, as most of you probably know, was unable to pitch due to issues with uh, anxiety um, or something like that, but mental issues not related to a physical problem on the field. Uh, and John Gavin, John Gibbons had his players back at every possible turn, which was just awesome because there was no thought about about uh, anything negative about what, what the effect was on the team or anything like that. He straight up basically told reporters, well, he did the second time reporters asked about it when after Osuna had made an initial statement, was, <laughs> y'all should just stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's like basically just shut up. This is none of your business. Let it go. Yep. The doctors will tell me if he's available to play, and I that's how we'll deal with that. That's no pressure on Osuna. When he's available, he's available. When he's not, when he's not. And that's certainly not something you need to be asking him about because it's personal. It's a health-related issue. It's not a team problem. Um, so, yeah, absolute gold star for that uh, because I think, there is, again, there's a lot of stigma attached to mental problems and i won't say mental health issues because again we don't have a diagnosis for osuna that's not fair um but for problems that aren't you know a broken leg um there's a lot of confusion about how to handle those things and the best way is to handle them is however the person who is having a problem wants them handled 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. And there were some really disgusting replies on Twitter, as you expect with something like this. But good on Osuna for, you know, having the courage to bring it up and try to get it dealt with as opposed to just letting it fester. I mean, we saw what happened with Zach Greinke in the early part of his career where he had the social anxiety and the issues and it knocked him out of baseball for a year and a half because he was afraid to talk about it at first. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's been lots of guys who've, who've um, touched on it and, and I don't think you can just stop talking about those kinds of issues because mental illness is just like any other illness. It's not, it's, it doesn't just go away without being treated and, and looked at. So, I'm going to leave that sort of on that very serious note. We need to move on back to the baseballish topic of the do-over <laughs> that is coming into <laughs> our our week. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... You know, to clarify, I think this might be the greatest example of someone saying the quiet part loud and the, <laughs> the loud part <laughs> quiet we've ever had on a do-over. <laughs> Um, tell us about Miguel Montero. <laughs> <laughs> so Miguel Montero, once upon a time a great throwing catcher, has thrown out one of 32 base runners this season. That's bad. Mm. And on Tuesday night, the Washington Nationals stole seven bases against Montero. When asked about it after the game, he criticized Arietta and the pitching staff, saying... That's the reason they were running left and right today, because they, meaning the pitchers, were slow to the plate. Simple as that. It's a shame it's my fault because I didn't throw anyone out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Throwing his pitchers under the bus when he has thrown out one of 31. And that just got the ball rolling down the hill. (laughs) Do you want to jump in or do you want me to keep reading? Oh, go, no. Please continue. So it started in the morning with Anthony Rizzo going on the radio. This would be their star first baseman. When you point fingers, you're a selfish player. We have another catcher that throws everyone out. (laughs) You're you're saying that those words may not have been sanctioned uh, by the team. (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) And then within, it took about 12 hours from his comments for him to be designated for assignment. He literally talked himself out of a job. And this wasn't even a situation where the the presidency with this Theo Epstein or the manager were trying to say, like, no, we all we just felt with the defensive issues we needed a change. Oh no. They came <laughs> out and said it was because of his comments. Uh wow. I bet you he wishes he had a do over at this point. Because when when you think about that statement as a teammate, he literally there, there was no one to whom that would have appealed. No one wanted to hear that. Like, it's your fault. Oh, thanks. Uh, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> That's like the only response I could think of. And I'm not even a team guy. You know, I've I've laughed at, at some guys who've done some not very team things before and said, oh, well, that's just what they had to do. But that was just pure stupidity. Um, so if Mr. Montero would like to come on the podcast and uh, like we can't offer him a major league job back, but we can promise to never talk about it again. If uh, he admits that, um, yeah, base runners are his problem regardless. And more specifically that even <laughs> if there is some element of truth to what he's saying, apparently there was some, you don't say it. No, they're his problem. Even when they're not his problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So we already had your final thought. I'll give you another quick one. Just a quick note. All right. This is just something that James G., who I seem to use quotes from him all the time. <laughs> the Jays have the 10th worth bat- worst batting average in history with runners in scoring position. Batting average on balls in play. 240. And the worst in, I think he said, 29 years or something like that. Yeah. The baseballs are not dropping even when they should be. It's amazing, really. Who knows? Yeah, but... I wanted to say, this isn't just bad luck. I mean, some of it is. We've seen a lot of rockets at people, but Mike Pastor wrote a piece for our site which looked at why their BABIP is so low, and I think people should absolutely read it because it goes into pretty serious depth with their hitting style and how that leads to low batting average on balls in play. Also, they're slow. (laughs) I was going to say, and they're slow. Um, 
All right, so I'm going to go to uh, a final thought on the 3-0 green light. I was listening to a game on the weekend, and I I switched from listening on the radio to switching on uh, listening on uh, watching on TV. Blah. So listening to Joe Siddall and then Pat Tabler, and both of them went on a lengthy explanation of how they had really hoped that Jose Bautista would get the green light 3-0, meaning the permission to swing from his manager. And then they both mentioned that John Gibbons always gives the green light to all of his hitters because he trusts them and their professional hitters. And if either of these guys didn't need to fill space with their voice, they would realize that there's no statement here. There's no real observation. If you start with the observation that you know they always have the three O green light. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as a red light in the majors. It, yeah, not anymore. And yeah, it just it's not relevant anymore, guys. It's not a strategic decision. Don't treat it like it is. Jose Bautista is swinging when he wants to. Yeah, you don't tell star players not to swing. You don't tell any players not to swing 3-0 because it's a really good chance they're going to get a cookie. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what even to say about that. Why do you keep observing it? Yeah, you don't need to. Please leave it alone. And on that note, that brings us to the end of another podcast, um, which means that uh, you were Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and uh, I am Greg Wisniewski at... Cool head 2010. You're laughing at me. Because <laughs> I was Josh House and <laughs> you, you are Greg. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you know, present tense, past tense. Uh, our guest was Ben Lindbergh at Ben Lindbergh. And this was Artificial Turf Wars episode number 63. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.